Matthew 13, verse 54 to 58 say this, Coming to his hometown, he, Jesus, began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, we've been hearing the teachings of Jesus throughout this last several weeks and from the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I kind of want to use this as a way to go back to something that we talked about very recently, where Jesus said, you, you have heard that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then Jesus said, but I say love your enemies. Now, I, I want to come back to that because in a way I felt as though I left that unfinished. At least for me, it, it, it bothered me. And the reason it bothered me is because, like most people, I find it difficult to hear Jesus say, love your enemies, because, you know, uh, it sort of makes sense that they're not particularly easy to love, right? Love your enemies. But the thing that's far more troubling to me is, is who is my enemy? When Jesus says, love your enemies, I find myself really troubled by just exactly what he means by an enemy. Now, I realize I'm not naive. I realize I have enemies. I mean, I realize at least that there are people who hate me. Uh, there are people in the world who hate me because I'm an American. There are people who hate me because I'm a white middle-aged man. There are people who hate me because I make over a certain amount of money or they hate me because of whatever it is I represent to them. But that's not really personal. And I don't hate them. I don't even know them. But I have traveled abroad and I've seen a few things and I can tell you there are people just hate you because of who you represent to them and what you represent to them. So you could say that in war, for example, the enemy combatant is your enemy because even though you don't have a personal problem with them, they're trying to kill you because they have an ideology and you're trying to kill them because you have an ideology. But in the end, I don't like thinking that I have enemies. As far as I know, I don't know anybody that I could say is my enemy. So that got me to thinking, and I looked up enemy in the dictionary, and this is often the case. You know, I, I would say I use the dictionary almost as frequently as the Bible when I'm planning sermons, because we use a lot of words in our teaching and preaching, we, we, in our study of Scripture together. We use a lot of words, and, and I think sometimes we have to really understand the word we're using. So I looked up enemy, and, and it says in the, in the dictionary that an enemy is someone who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Okay. So by definition, an enemy is a person who is actively opposed to me. All right, that narrows it down a bit, but, but personally I don't like the negative, ugly feeling that the word enemy generates. But when I read today's scripture, I realize that if we take that definition seriously, then 
the people in Jesus' extended family because, you know, in those days, in a town like Nazareth, you were probably related to most of the people. I think even in a town like Jasper, you find that a lot of people are related. And, and so his extended family was opposed to him. His close family was opposed to him. His church or synagogue family was opposed to him. His classmates, you know how it is in a small town, they all went to school together and now they're running the place. You know, that's pretty typical in a small town. And his neighbors, they, they all rejected Jesus' authority, even though they acknowledged that he was doing miracles, he was teaching with extraordinary knowledge, and, and he was clearly blessed. And, and, and I love the way this passage is written because it says, all of these things they counted towards him as pretty remarkable, but they rejected it. They resented it. And we could get into an interesting sociological discussion about why it is that in families and small towns, when one of us exceeds the average expectation, it causes resentment because that's kind of a remarkable thing to investigate. But when it's all said and done, they were opposed to him. It could be said that they were his enemies. In fact, if you read a little further in that passage, I'd say they were his enemies because their response to their resentment was to take him out and throw him off a cliff. That was the plan, but he escaped from them. And I can tell you, I've been to Nazareth, and one of the things that's pretty remarkable is they got some big old cliffs. And I'm going to tell you, if, if, if they had done it, that would have been the end of the story. And uh, those were his enemies. And yet, they loved him. I mean, you know how it is in family. You've got that cousin or even a sibling who has pretty much disappointed you in every way conceivable, but you can't stop loving them. That child, that parent, you know, you, you, you still love them, but you just reject everything that they choose to do and their whole attitude towards life, and yet they're family. And you know their family if someone stands between you and them. And we could talk about Jesus maybe miraculously escaping, being thrown off the cliff, but my guess is people who loved him sort of said, now wait a minute, some of these jokers are overreacting and you're still family. <laughs> and I think maybe they just got him away from the danger until cooler heads prevailed. But nevertheless, this enemy is then guided by hatred. And, and that story really gives you a great example of how this went. You see, Jesus went from being disrespected despite the clear evidence that he was superior in certain ways. And yet it, it, it escalated to the point where some, some people wanted to kill him. And this is interesting to me because this is what I see happening in churches and communities, and I think you can all agree that you see it in the popular culture today, is little disagreements blow up into major violence in a matter of minutes sometimes. And how is it that that happens? Probably because in biblical terms, enemy means a little bit more. Like I said, I have a problem with this word Jesus uses, and frankly, it's all over Scripture. There's this talk of who, you know, God is being asked in the Psalms, you know, to, to defeat our enemies and all of this. And, it, and it's like, you know, I don't think for one minute that most people speak that way of someone who just disagrees with them. 
But it's funny how simple disagreements turn into something where the word enemy seems altogether appropriate. And this is where I think the biblical understanding of enemy kicks in. Because in Bible terms, the enemy is not really the person who disagrees with me. It's really not the person who doesn't share my view. It's the person or being who incites the violence and the bitter hatred and the terror and the grief and all of the sorrow that comes from disagreements or differing points of view that explode into wars and so forth. So in Bible terms, when Jesus or anyone else speaks of enemies, they might as well be speaking of the enemy. Now, you probably know where I'm headed with this, but the real issue is the one who is opposed to God. The one who opposed God from before the human time. All of this I take from Scripture, and my fundamental premise is my belief in the Bible as God's Word, as an expression of God's story related with humanity. And there are numerous references in Scripture, though there's no one particular story that you can turn to, so I can't give you a single verse or a chapter or a book to turn to, but reading throughout Scripture, you will piece together a pretty clear understanding of who the enemy is, and the enemy is Satan. And Satan is a word that just, it's, it's really a word more than it's a proper name. It's a word that means the adversary. Or more accurately, hosatan, which means the accuser. And the Bible tells us that in the course of God's relationship with humanity, there was a time that preceded that where God was in relationship with the heavenly host, which God also created. And in this history, so to speak, there was one who accused God before all the heavenly hosts and said, I don't think you're everything you claim to be. I think that your character is flawed. I think that your goals are wrong. I think that you don't really love as absolutely as you claim to. Or to put it another way, this Satan, this Hosatan, this accuser, basically points that long bony finger at God and says, I think I could do the God thing better than you. And this becomes part of the human story when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they've been living in relative bliss as they've experienced God's pleasure and they've not suffered in any way because of God's uh, displeasure. They've simply lived as God told them to and they did not do the things God told them not to do, namely to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then along comes this creature who's described as a serpent. And if I had the time, I'd love to develop that with you because because this word for serpent really describes a physical manifestation of Satan, the accuser, that isn't really a snake, or it, it may actually be closer to a dragon, but it doesn't matter in this particular case. It's the same accuser who now stands before the two 
quintessential human beings, you know, and says to them, you know, God's probably not really being straight with you. In fact, I can tell you that I have it on good authority that God doesn't love you as much as he says he does. And God isn't really telling you the whole truth about things. And he knows if you eat from this tree, you'll know the whole truth about things. And that'll prove what I'm talking about here. And so the accuser incites doubt about God's character, God's true nature as loving and entirely good all the time and all the time entirely good and this accuser plants the seed of doubt in the hearts of the people and that seed is still there with us to this day and it is that same accuser who is part of that realm of timelessness that we refer to as heaven or the place where god lives is this is this is a a being who is transcendent in the same way as the angels and those uh, heavenly beings that you read about in scripture remember we're taking everything that, that we're talking about from the scripture and what we understand then is is that he's just as active today as he ever was in his goal and i use him and he and his reluctantly because satan is not some being that has gender in the same sense that we would think of it any more than when we refer to god as he so please forgive the reference. Just accept it as simply a, a, a communications essential. And what we understand is, is that, that the enemies in our world are those who have given themselves over to the enemy of God. That the, assess, the essential problem here that Jesus is identifying throughout Jesus' time of teaching and service and then eventually sacrifice and death and resurrection is all based in the reality that this is the one who would tempt even Jesus, if he could, to doubt God's purpose and God's goodness and God's rightness about all things. And even Jesus was tempted, but Jesus said, no, you're wrong about that, and did not give in. Unfortunately, we all give in, and at times when we give in, if we're not careful, we slide down that slippery slope to where we find ourselves doubting God and the goodness of God and then hurting one another in the name of God even. Jesus had a way of explaining this problem. He refers to it in Matthew 13. And so, as you see, I'm dancing around through the scripture, but pulling together ultimately what came after the Sermon on the Mount as people found their different ways of resp responding to the Sermon on the Mount. And many of them said, Jesus, who? Which is where the title comes from. But this is what Jesus said. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, they see, because they see your eyes, because your ears, because they hear, says Jesus, Matthew 13, 11 to 16. And so I conclude with this. The Jesus who crowd has had their hearts hardened. Thankfully, that's not a permanent condition. It's something that can change if we'll open our minds, which is sort of a gateway to our heart, and simply do the critical thinking that so few people do when it comes to the examination of Scripture and the beliefs of millions and millions of people. That many people can't be delusional. There's got to be more to it than that, right? And so begin the process of critical thinking seek out knowledge of what the scriptures say, and then as the doorway to your heart begins to open, the hardness can go away. But rest assured, my friends, that hardened hearts are truly the enemy. And they are hardened by the enemy, Satan. And even when Jesus was tempted in the same way as we, he had a pretty simple response and you can read that in Matthew 16 verse 23 where he says get behind me Satan let us pray thank you God for your word now burn it upon our hearts for your name's sake that you might be glorified amen